Welcome back, or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lucini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives in pursuit of greatness. This platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode 31. My esteemed guest today is Sylvain Guimond, PhD. Sylvain is a world-renowned expert in posture and sports psychology, a distinguished inspirational speaker, as well as the president and founder of Biotonics, which we will certainly dive into throughout this conversation. He has evaluated, treated, and worked with over 1,000 elite athletes, including Greg Norman, John Smoltz, Mario Lemieux, and Tiger Woods. Savain has been a consultant for five NHL teams, including the Montreal Canadiens, who are currently in the Stanley Cup, as well as the NBA and NFL. From biomechanics to business, sports psychology to posture therapy, Sylvain Guimond is as accomplished as they come. Without further ado, let's jump in. Sylvain, thanks so much for coming on, and I'm excited for this conversation. Great. I can't wait to talk to you, Mark. It's been nice. We got a conversation on the phone. I just uh, uh, love what you're doing, and uh, I'm really impressed with what you achieved. So to me, to be sitting here uh, facing you, it's a privilege. I appreciate you saying that. I, I, I could always tell, even from a 30-minute conversation, uh, to start off our, our friendship or relationship here, that uh, you're filled with so much gratitude, and I know you're going to be a great guest here. And I'm excited for listeners to, to learn from you just because I've learned so much in the short time that we've known each other. So from our very first conversation, uh, I was blown away by your insight uh, on the connection between psychology and posture uh, yeah. and personality. The idea and questions that stuck with me um, from that first conversation is, are we stressed because we have bad posture or do we have bad posture because we're stressed? So <laughs> I'd, I'd like to start off where it started for you. Um, when did you get into sports psychology and posture and why? Yeah, well, first of all, I have to say that uh, uh, I was an athlete myself and I play in CAA uh, as a hockey player. Um, I'm only 5'3", so you can imagine that I had to be uh, – quick, really fast, <laughs> and not scared of everything. So I, 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 I always thought that I was 6'4 in my head, hmm. but physically I was only 5'3". Uh, and, um, and I had a lot of, uh, you know, I had great joy playing hockey, and I played for McGill University also. I did play in the States uh, for Sony State University of New York and, and came back here. Uh, and, and then I decided to study in, um, in phys ed. Uh, and do testing, you know, all of the sports testing that we do, the view two max and strength and, uh, you know, the, the percentage of fat and all of the things that you already know. So I was, um, and, and just before I did that, I did, a, um, a, my first major was in uh, applied spinal biomechanical engineering. Mm. So engineering of the spine, but it was very, um, very a great study that I've done, but at the same time was not very practical. Everything was so theory, but I, I, I had nothing to apply it. And I got injured uh, playing hockey in Miguel, decided to go to see a physiotherapist and, and other people that helped me out. And then I, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, trying to help athletes with uh, back pain. And, 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 uh, and I went into doing my, my doctorate in uh, osteopathic medicine. So after I've done that, I, I started to do a lot of work on, on posture and, and back pain. And, and to see that posture was responsible for most of the back pain that we have. And most back pain that we have is because we have to fight against gravity. But 
if you are perfectly balanced, um, you're not fighting with gravity. You're just, you know, standing straight and your head is on top of your shoulders and your pelvic tilt, everything is perfectly aligned. But in, in, in more sports, we do a lot of exercise or we do uh, repetitive movement uh, that are very asymmetric, like golfers and, and other sports like that. And I needed to, to recreate the balance in between the muscle strength. And one of the things that I, wa I was really impressed with was how we could uh, recreate balance and, and posture by giving them exercise. So I decided to create the software a long, long time ago to do a uh, posture analysis. And, and this uh, posture analysis was uh, used by Olympic athletes, uh, speed skaters. You know, speed skaters, they always skate on the same side. So they had a lot of uh, asymmetric in their muscle. And I, and I told the trainer, I said, we have to do exercise on the other side so that they stay balanced. And, and he told me, he said, Sylvain, listen, they've been like that. And I think it's helping them that they are already crooked in the sense that their center of mass is on one side. And I said, you know what? Um, the worst thing that could happen to an, to an athlete is to be injured. And, and if we keep on having them to be asymmetric, your athlete's going to be really good, but always injured. So, and, and when a muscle is used just to make you stand straight, you cannot use the 100% of that muscle to generate energy and to, to have a full contraction. So saying that, he said, okay, so let's start with our athletes. That's what we did. And I don't know if people remember, but 1992, that's a long, long time ago. That's why I'm old. In 1994, the, the Winter Olympic Games were only two years uh, apart because they didn't want to have the uh, Summer Olympic Games and the Winter Olympic Games on the same year. That's what used to be the case before 1992. So in, in, that, in that years, we, they started to say uh, the, 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 the winter sports are going to be on 1992, 1996, and, and, and so on. So 1994 was the first time that uh, the, the, the Winter Olympic Games were only two years apart instead of being four years apart. Mm. So we needed to have our, our people to be ready for the 94 Olympic Games in only two years instead of having four years to get them to be ready there. And I said to them, that's a great moment for us to try that new asymmetric uh, mm. training so that we can keep them to be really symmetric in function. Their function should be symmetric. That's what we did in, in that year. We didn't have any injury in, in our uh, in-track sports skaters. And the, the Prince Albert of Monaco used to do bobsleigh. I don't know if people remember that, but he went to the Olympic with Monaco as a, a bobsleigher, uh, bobsleigh. And he looked at the athletes we had, and they said, well, these people are so strong. Their legs are so strong. He said, that's what I need, too. So he started to do um, a strength training program to get more uh, power in his leg. And he saw that these people were doing this program that was asymmetric uh, to them to get them to be balanced. And he says, well, this is amazing. And he started to have back pain. So I did the testing on him, and he was the one who opened the door for me in 1996 for the summer games uh, in, um, uh, in uh, Atlanta at that time. Mm. So I went there, presented to uh, people what my, my software did, and I sold a lot of software around the world, and, and that's how it started. And I, I, I decided after that that uh, 
when I see someone's posture, I look, it looks to me that I can also, I can almost tell you their personality. The way you stand tells a lot about you, who you are. And when I met with Dr. Krishna Varsari, that we both know very well, she changed my life by telling me that um, she has done a lot of research on, on personality types. And I told her, I said, you see, when I look at someone standing physically, I can almost tell you if this person is extroverted or introverted. I can, there's so many things that uh, talks to me. And, and that's how we um, can face stress, the way we are with our personality, also the way we, we face uh, how much we are stressed. So the question you asked me to start with was, uh, is because we have a bad posture that we are stressed out or because we, we are stressed uh, that we had a bad posture? Well, Mark, your question was great because it's both. It goes both ways. Your brain doesn't know the difference between a physical stress or a mental stress. So the muscle will contract because the, it's like we have to face uncertainty and we have to face um, a, a lot of fear and your muscle will contract at that time. So when I'm stressed out, of course, my muscles are contracted because I have to either fight or fight, you know, flight or fight, you know, as we say, and, and this will have the muscle to be contracted. If my posture is not good, well, the muscles that are already too strong are going to be even more contracted. And most of back pain come from contracted muscles. There is a lot of lactic acid in that muscle, and that contraction cannot just release. There's no release. So on the long run, you got a lot of pain started with the back contraction of, of some muscle in your back. And, and I wanted to show if there was a link in between posture, personality, and pain. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, the, that's how I, that's my PhD research was on posture, personality, and pain. And we came up with um, that, that big and strong link in between those three P, posture, personality, and pain. So yes, to answer your question, I went a long way around to answer that sure. question, but yes, there's a link uh, between um, your, physical stress and mental stress. Um, and, and you know, when we say we are relaxed in our brain, we say also I'm relaxed physically, it, it, it goes both ways. And that's why I always believe that we should never separate our brain from our body. Mm. We should never say mental illness or physical illness, but just say illness. Mm. We should never say uh, mental health or physical health, but just say health. Mm. To me, it doesn't make sense because I have never seen anyone going to the doctors and say, hey, doc, my head's not going too well. So I'm going to leave my head here and I'm going to come back and pick it up in two weeks. There's no way you can do that, right? right. So why do we do that when we talk about uh, mental illness or physical illness? Because as soon as we say to people, how many people here, when I give a, a conference, I ask people in the room, how many people here had ever had back pain? Well, I have to say that it's 80% of people will raise their hand because mm. that's the reality. Four people out of five had, will, or uh, have back pain. So uh, it's touching all of us because we started, we decided to stand up. <laughs> and because of that reason, there's only a small base of support according to, uh, to our body than when we are erect. So when I'm asking those questions, no one is afraid to say that they have back pain. But as soon as I say, okay, how many of you have ever had depression or, or burnout? And then nobody raised their hands. And they look around before and then sometimes they raise their hand, but just a bit like this, you know, 
And I'm like, well, you know what? This is funny because in Canada only, 64 people, 64% of people have taken antidepressant pills or anxiety pills. And, and I'm asking people, if, if you're not taking these, these pills, who are they taking them? Your, your dogs? That's why your dogs are going with their tails like that. They're taking antidepressant pills. And, and that's where I'd, I'd like to say that there's three times more women than men that have depression or um, diagnostic with uh, burned out. Three times more women than men. And Mark, it's sad, but there's three times more men than women that are taking their life away. So we talk about sports and all kinds of things, but we don't talk about our emotion that much. But women, they can do that. And you know, to me, what scares me the most is not a man who cries. It's a man who doesn't cry. Mm. And, and I think it has to change. And we have to, to, to teach our younger men to be able to be closer to their, their emotion and talk about those emotions so that they can be out of that uh, crisis of having depression. Depression is probably the, the worst illness that you can have in your life. And it's the, the most suffering one. Why? Because that's the only one where people will take their life away just to stop suffering. So we got to help people on that. But how can I be helped when I cannot even talk about it? Mm. The only way to get out of this is to talk about it. But who do I, who can I talk to if I'm afraid to be judged? Right. I, I, there's so much to unpack there, Sylvain. And, and what I would say is um, I was so uh, into strength and conditioning in high school. Then I had my first mental coach when I was in college. And then when I created my own company, I said that you have to see the holistic approach to health. Yeah, it's all connected, all interwebbed. One of the things that I'm going all the way back in your answer is it was pretty cool to see that you're all about the size of the fight and the dog, not, not the, the size of the dog in a fight, you know, five, three playing six, four. It's something that I talk to uh, family, friends and clients about when you feel small, you have to act big. And there's a lot of confidence that comes from that. Um, I'm, I, came up with this idea that it's so important in life to emulate until you can innovate. And it's clear that you've done that from physical education to biomechanics. And now you're on the forefront, the edge. Um, it's something that I really want to get into today is that interconnection between pain, posture, psychology, because it's so true. Even the statistics that you're giving us are, are so powerful. Um, perhaps this is a great segue for you to talk a little bit about biotonics, like with a mission behind it and what it's all about. Yeah, you know, um, when I went to McGill, um, I already had a, I already had a background in biomechanics. So I got to McGill, playing hockey for McGill University in Montreal, and um, at that time I started to work in the, um, the kinesiology lab, doing biomechanic testing and also exercise physiology testing, and at that time it was in the late 80s so that's uh, that's a long long time ago that's almost like uh, you know 35 years ago and computer was not that big at that time and and it was just started to have uh, easy access to have personal computer and, and i said to myself it doesn't make sense that we gather all of those information on on, on athletes and we don't have anything to do testing with them and, and because I didn't speak English much when I went to, to the States, I was 19 years old. I had injury to play hockey, and, but I had an offer to play hockey in the States and having a full scholarship to play NCAA. And, and at that time, when I went there, I, I knew yes, no, and cowboy. That's the three words I knew in English at that time. 
And I said to myself, okay, if I'm going to take classes, I have to take class with that has a lot of math involved because math, you know, if you are doing maths, you don't need that much to talk. And, and I took computer science. Um, instead of taking uh, free uh, electives in, in other field, I took health and science and computer science. When I came back from that course, I, I, I knew how to, to uh, create software. And got to McGill and do testing on a lot of top athletes because the lab that we had in McGill was amazing and great teachers. And I was very privileged to be in McGill. In McGill for us, it's like you guys, you're Harvard University. It's, it's ranked number first university in Canada. And, and, and for me, who had a lot of uh, problem learning in school because I was dyslexic and a problem learning and, and, and writing and, and you know, I was really bad in school when I was younger, and, and I still have a lot of problem with uh, reading and, and writing. Um, and, and to me, to be there with those people, I was privileged to, to be there. So I decided to do a computer science program to test uh, reflex. Uh, and, and you'll be laughing at this because you're a top lacrosse player. <laughs> reflex in sport is so important because it's just, this, is, this is key. And we don't test that very often. And, and, and actually, that's what makes the difference between a great and great, great player and a good player. It's how fast can you react from a decision making. And in decision making that we have to make, um, there's three kinds of decision making. The first one is what I call pure reflex. You, get, you see something, you just have a reflex to to what you just saw and, 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 and re you react. The second one is um, reflex with decision making. So I see something, but I have to make a decision. And the third one is decision is reflex, decision making and coordination. So how can I coordinate all of that? And to me, this idea of testing those three components was key. So I decided to create a software that would do that and my first people that I was supposed to work with were uh, uh, gymnastics. So I said to my teacher, I love gymnastics. I love these athletes. They're so great athletes. But at the same time, we had two groups to do testing on. Either we had testing on uh, gymnastics player, uh, uh, gymnastics athletes, or we had um, race car driver. Mm. I told my, my teacher at that point, I said he was a sports psychologist and the other one was a, an exercise physiologist. I, I, I told them, I said, hey, guys, listen, I'm, I don't want to work with, uh, you know, uh, uh, car uh, drivers because, I mean, you, all they have to do is to push on a pedal. I want to work with more <laughs> acting. They looked at me and I was like, they say, you don't know what you're talking about, so you're going to be responsible for the pilot. So instead of sending me, to the gymnastic people, they send me to the to the to the, the formula, the the ND uh, driving car, uh, ND, ND ND car drivers. Yes, the, uh, the formula ND mm. ND car. So got to do testing on them. So all of them were come in, and we would do uh, the VO2 max, the strength, the endurance, the power, the the um, also testing on. on um, uh, lactic acid and all of these testing that we used to do. And I told them, I said, why don't we do a test on, on, on reflex with them? And they say, okay, how would you do that? Well, simple enough. We have computer. So 
there's, there's going to be something that will appear on the screen. And when they see that, all they have to do is to click on the, the, the space bar. And as soon as they see it, they, 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 they click. So the, 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 the reflex will, will see in between what they see and how, how fast they react. That, that this first was just pure reflex. That's simple enough to do. Mm. The second one was, okay, we'll give them um, this, um, this, this decision to make. You only press on it if the color is blue or white or whatever color mm. on the, the dot. So we're going to show them one color. And if it's the right color, they have to, 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 to press. If they, they press too fast because they have in the, they try to beat the clock, but at the same time, they didn't see clearly what color they had to collect. They, then we'll see how much mistake they made mm. and how fast they, they, they can be in making decisions. The last one was we had a, a mouse like this. So we'll show them something on the screen, but not only they have to click on, but they have to follow the mouse. Wherever it goes, they have to stay in contact. Ah. If the mouse doesn't stay in contact, not only they didn't have good reflex, but they don't have eye coordination that are very high. So did that. This, this software was sold to a, per, a private company. I didn't make any money because I was a student at that time. And I said to myself, oh, that doesn't make sense. I'm creating something, but I'll never make money out of that. So my brother said, why don't you start your own business? He, he lent me $1,000 and I started the business that's called Biotonics. Mm. Biotonics became uh, twice uh, in a row uh, to be uh, the medical review, American medical review for the best medical software in the States. So having all of that under my belt, um, uh, we um, gathered with uh, Procter & Gamble and, and a division called Great Advertising. They got with me and we were able to, uh, to go further in, in creating more software. Then I got back Biotonics all by myself and decided to put the neuroscience in the biomechanics. So Biotonics is, is a link in between um, your, the neuroscience and, and the, 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 the sports psychology or performance psychology, as, as you wish to, you know, how you'd like to say it, and the biomechanics. And all of that gives you a BTX age. When, when I'm testing you, I can tell you how old you are compared to other Americans and, and tell you exactly where you stand. Um, Posture-wise, physically-wise, and also um, your f mental functional. Uh, how, how, how quick are you and what's going on in your, in your brain in a sense of, and if you have concussions and things like that, there's a lot of things we can see when we do those testing in mm. neural feedback pretty amazing you know one of one of the things i want to um bring up is the fact that you were working with uh, indy car racers and i heard uh kurt bush a nascar driver uh speak uh, about a quote that mario andretti once said that if everything seems calms and you're not going fast enough so i think it's a little bit more than, than pushing a pedal huh <laughs> rather than just uh going up and down, going up and down. <laughs> mark i have to say i i they made me swallow my words Mm. Um, I, I, I was so impressed by these athletes. I mean, um, the reflex wise, they were faster than anyone, any other athletes in any other discipline. Also, you have to remember that in their cockpit, as they are driving so fast, the heat inside is so high that their waste, uh, they lose a lot of, uh, uh, of water mm. and, and, and they, before and after a race, they can lose five pounds. Uh, 
and and that's just to say how much energy uh, that's uh, asking and also when they have to also fight against uh, again the g-force the g-force is so high um the neck and and the, the the strength that they have just to be able to do that is and and not to say all of the mental strength that they need just to be able to get into um the the limit of if and and and, and you know i remember they say i told them i asked them you know are you afraid something mm-hmm. and they say we have to yeah if you're not you're gonna get you're gonna die so it's it's in between confidence and 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 being fair and know and and and, uh, and be scared but where do you do you draw the line and that's they always stay on the edge and um that's that's really tough physically and mentally so i i really uh enjoy working with them and i was so impressed by uh, these uh, these top uh, complete at least I would say. Yeah, I would say when it comes to mental performance in general, one of the things that I love to kind of just define it as is how do you be intense without being tense? How do you stay calm in an uncalm place? How do you perform your best when it means the most? And I think to understand that pressure is very, very real and to do it afraid is a really great idea because no, there's never going to be a time where the fear is uh, non-existent. I want to dive into your story a little bit, Sylvain, and and ask you, you, you brought up before. Um, that you were dyslexic. I, I just read, uh, listened to a podcast where the, the CEO of JetBlue Airlines um, had grown up all his life with ADD. Um, and he talked about how, although it was uh, a really breakdown at the moment, understanding that it allows him to do such great things like the decision making as, as a CEO. So one of the things I want to ask you is, uh, could you share a little bit about your early life, the chapters of that and, and what it was like growing up? Uh, You said to me that it wasn't, that school didn't come easy to you. Um, But perhaps how did that influence um, who you are today and what you do now? Well, I have to say that I I come from a family of eight. So I have seven brothers and Hmm. my my brothers are so ugly. You wouldn't believe it. They're so, so ugly. So then when my, my, my friends, they had me, they went like, oh, shit, this one is good looking. Let's So I'm the eighth one. The other one was so ugly. There were trials. Trials. My, my parents were just making trials and trials until they had me. Then, did they, oh, did they just have bad posture or were they really ugly? <laughs> oh, they were really ugly. Can you see my face? I'm ugly myself. Can you believe my brothers are even uglier than me? So, and, so to me, my parents, they gave me beauty. And, and to my brothers, they gave them the intelligence. Mm. So my brothers were so intelligent, they would skip. Uh, school grade and you know they would skip ahead in in, in grade in, in school. I did that too, but backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, I was in grade grade three in elementary school. I failed. I and my parents were so so discouraged. They say, well, we don't get it because all of the other ones had a, a very easy time in school, and and to me it was a tough time. But my my mom and dad, I come from a family of, of uh, loving parents. My parents, uh, they just passed away this year. Um, and and, and my mom a few years ago and my, my dad this year, but he was 96. So they had a great life together. They spent uh, 72, uh, 72 years together and, wow. and, and in love like you wouldn't believe. So to me, it was a great gift. And, and 
I never felt different from my brothers. They loved me as much as all of my other brothers, and and they gave me that that love that I needed. Even though I was uh, I had a lot of problems in school, they never judged me any, you know, in, in any sense, and they just wanted me to be happy and 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 to be success. So they decided to hire a, 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 a teacher, but. We were so poor, Mark, that the only day that I was dressed exactly like the other kids in school was on Halloween day. <laughs> wow. So I said, how are they going to pay for uh, the, the schooling and, and having a private teacher? They, um, they went to a nun and this nun says, I'm going to help him free. And, and her name was Rita Lenoir. She had me do a, a math problem. I was at that time, I, I was um, in, in high school and I still had struggling with school and she had me do a math problem and, and she looked at me and it took me a long time to find the answer but instead of, of telling me that I was slow she said you are very creative so wow. it's better to say to someone you're creative than slow and I believed her and it changed my life I'm always saying to people words can kill or words can cure mm. depends you know how you are using words and this that, that she told me that I was creative and not slow. It was the first time that in school I got some reward in the sense of, okay, I think you're smart. And she said, you are smarter than most people, but it's just that your brain doesn't work the same way. So let's try to get you to get at your best with what you already have. And she changed my life by just giving me back this confidence that I needed. Because, you know, when you have problems in school or in sport, the first thing that goes down is your your self-esteem because sure. you compare yourself all the time you know that's what self-esteem is it's comparison of yourself with other people that's why it's called esteem as if you go to us uh, to to buy your house you'll ask what's the esteem of, of the house how much is the house cost you know that's how you evaluate the price so the price of human being is just self-esteem that's how what is mm. the price that i put on myself and and we all compare ourselves all the time i mean it's a, it's human nature to do that we don't know i don't know why do that we do that we shouldn't do we should not do that but we do that all the time you play sports you compare yourself where do i stand here in, the, in this team am i the best the worst where 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 uh, and, and you know right away you know who are the best player in the team who are the the the, the good one the and, and we do that all the time. The second thing that we need is, is self-confidence. Mm. Self-esteem is my, the value that I put on myself. The self-confidence is, is what can I do? This is the evaluation of the task that I have to do. And, and, and if my self-esteem is high, then my self-confidence get higher because I know that I can do it. Because I'm not afraid to try things because it doesn't define who I am. Even though there's mistakes or I make mistakes, it doesn't define who I am. I define myself with the person that I am myself. That's how I define myself. I don't define myself on success or failure. I, defi I define myself on who I am. And, 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 and the success will just def define how people are perceiving me. And but not me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Because when I'm, 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 I'm trying things, of course, I'm going to make mistakes. But that's only one way to learn things. And, and, and it doesn't define me in a sense. I'm not a failure. I just make some mistakes. And I always tell kids in school, I hope you're going to have some failures in your life and early in life so that you can learn from those failures. And, and if you're not a failure, you're just a way to learn how to get there. And what I'm afraid of, Mark, is when you see kids that everything is going so smooth and they have always straight A's. And, and they got a, 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 a girlfriend and then 18 years old and then their, their first uh, 
uh, heartbreak that they have, that's it. They take their life away because they've never learned her. They never learn how to fail. This is so important. And the last thing is yourself uh, is, is your self image. What what are you showing and how people uh, see you? So when I was younger, of course, I compare myself with my brothers and other people. But this way of telling me that I was creative and, and that I could do a lot of things and that she thought that I was smart, you know, having this compliment uh, that I was not used to, uh, not coming from a teacher, <laughs> it changed my life. And then uh, it redefined who I was, even though I had problem with dyslexia and uh, dysorthographia and, and also ADD myself. Uh, and that uh, probably had created who I am as way of thinking differently yeah. and, and, and probably using my brain in different ways. And when I met with my wife, she's a neuropsychologist and she does testing on, on the brain. And um, she, she told me, she said, she told me everything that was wrong with my brain. But at the same time, she said, that makes you who you are. Uh, I mean, you find other ways of doing things because of those uh, uh, of of those problems that you have. So sometimes problems give you another way of doing things, and and it it, it gets you to be more unique uh, that that you can ever be. So in a sense, to me today, I can look back in my life and say, well, it was not easy, but at the same time, it makes me who I am. I can I I, I learn how to to perceive, you know, to 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 to, to be persistent, to always hard, work really hard because I have to study twice as much as all mm. of the other kids in the school. And, and, and it gives me the personality type to be a CEO and, 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 and also to understand other people. When you have from yourself, you are uh, very a lot more open to other people problem. I think that when people are going to tough time, it helps them being more, um, more loving and, and caring for other people. That's how I see it. Yeah. I, when I was always preparing for uh, this conversation with you, I, I listened to uh, your presentation on the power of resilience um, on anxiety. And I do remember you talking about how, um, you know, you'll remember 10% of what you read, you yes. know, 20% of what you heard, 30% of what you've seen. 50% of what you've seen and read, if I'm correct here, and then 80% of what you is said to you, uh, and then 90% of what you do. And in your answer right there, I, I love how you didn't shy away from bringing up love. I think it's an important thing to talk about. Somebody once said to me um, that suicide, the definition of it is a permanent ending uh, to a temporary problem. And I think that's why it's so important that discussions that we're having uh, are so important and that we continue to push the rock forward because there are strategies, there are techniques, there are practices uh, like Rita did for you um, in which you can really instill um, a higher uh, value on a person um, through compliments. And whether it's the book, um, How to Win Friends, and influence people or a one minute manager. I know it's talked about catch someone doing something right rather than always catching them doing something wrong and saying you're flawed, you're flawed, you're flawed. It's so important to give that compliment. You know, we always have to work on our strength and just address our, our weakness because you never get really good in something you're weak in. <laughs> you get okay, but you never get good. You get great 
and outstanding in something that you are already outstanding. When I'm looking at kids that come to see me and say, oh, well, I'd like to play in the NHL one day. They tell me that. So I, tell, I said, okay, uh, are you good? <laughs> That's the first question I ask them. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. What are you really good at? I said, I, I really skate fast. So I said, okay, tomorrow morning, work on your skating. And they look at me and they say, this is my biggest strength. That's it. Because that's what they will see, how fast you skate. They will not look at, no one will pick you. No one will draft you because you're not really good with the puck. <laughs> They'll draft you because you're fast. So make that strength to be outstanding. And that's why I say it's important to, to know ourselves and, and to know who we are in order to put emphasis on the things that we are already good. Of course, the weakness that we have, we have to address them and not make it in, in, in a way that these are going to be uh, uh, a problem in a way when you're going, you're going to, to some places and, and, and aim for something. But that should not be where you put your attention. We always should be put our attention on something we're good because you know what? We define ourselves, how much people love us and tell us how well you good you are. You're so great in this and this. So it makes you happy, of course, because we are not, even though we are top athletes, no one is, um, when you say something nice about someone, it always pleases them. And when you say something nasty, it always makes them uh, sad. And, and no matter what they say, when they say to top athletes, you know, I don't read newspaper, I don't watch TV, I don't listen to radio, I don't listen to what people are saying about me, that's full of shit. I hope people know that. You know, every athlete is is aware of what's telling about them. And, and, it's, and if it's nice, they feel great. And if it's not, well, they feel sad. Mm. So in, in a sense, what people are saying about us, it's important. That's why it, we have to be careful of how we judge people and what we say about them and, and how we take them to inside. Because I'm, re I'm not responsible for what you tell me, but I'm responsible for how I, I take it. That's my responsibility. If you say something that is nasty and, and that is not nice, I have to tell you, I'm sorry, Mark, that doesn't belong to me. I'm going to give it back to you. If you mm -hmm. can do that, that's even perfect. So sometimes people will say, you know what, I'm sorry. That's not what really what I wanted to say. And they'll, they'll reframe the, the, what they're saying. But when you keep it inside, it doesn't belong to you. So don't keep it inside. Write that on a piece of paper and say, okay, someone told me that I was fat. Great. Write that down and burn that paper. Do mm. the same thing with your kids. Every time your kids seems to be unhappy when they come home and say, well, what happened? Well, in school, they told me I was fat. and blah, blah. Okay, so let's write that down and burn that paper. We don't keep things that are not belonging to us. Right. That's, that's key just to, to live our life. You know, life is short. Life's, life is very short. You only have a one day that you were born and you're going to die another day, you know? And we are only here for a dash in between. Because at, at, when you die, they put your, your name on, on a stone and your birthday and a dash in the middle and how, you know, when you died. And we are here to make us just that small dash. And, and life is beautiful because it's tough. Life is beautiful because there's wonderful day. And without the dark and the light, you, you wouldn't be able to be happy because we need some darkness and some times that are tough to just enjoy even more when it's nice. I'm always saying to people, life, it's like exactly like going to eat to your mother-in-law. 
go to eat to her place. The food is not as good as your mom's place. <laughs> but taste the food when you are there. So mm -hmm. then when you come back home and you have comfort food with your mom, it feels even better. Right. So when there's tough time, don't try to hide yourself. Just live through it. Cry everything you have to cry. You know, yell, whatever you have to do, do it. Right. And then when you're happy, don't think that it's going to finish one day. Just live that it's, it's never going to finish and be as happy as you can be during that day. That will make your life to be worthwhile, you know, like that's what life is all about. Yeah, I, I love your your metaphors of the oscillations of life, the dichotomy of life. You know, I, I wish I, uh, I had you in my life 10 years ago. I got a stress fracture in my L2, L4. And I think it was something that was a breakdown for me that led to a breakthrough in the fact that I started to take care of my mind and my body and my heart and my emotional and spiritual health a lot more. Uh, one of the things that I want to go back to is you talked about writing things down and, and, and burning that, right? I used to, uh, especially when I was going through that time, write a lot of poetry um, and that was something that was really great at getting words down uh, that didn't belong to me inside. It was something that I could turn uh, judgmental uh, conversations into curiosity, write it down. And uh, I think it's so important. Uh, you, you brought up uh, Rita's love for you, the nun. Uh, I think it's so important to talk about belief. And then when you brought up earlier uh, the difference between banking on your strengths versus working on your weaknesses, um, something that I'd love to talk with our mutual mentor, uh, Dr. Christina Vasari, about is how our greatest strengths and weaknesses are the same. So if I was to flip that over onto you, Sylvain, and ask you that question, you know, what, what is uh, your greatest strength and weakness that happened to be the same in your life? <laughs> I think my greatest uh, strength is to be happy and, and to love everyone and, and never be, um, uh, I never look at people's uh, dark side. And, and because of that, sometimes I got people that are not with great intention that come to me because I'm open. It, it also brings uh, different people that are, would just like to be around me for, um, to get to, to know uh, famous people or people like that. And to me, working with these people like Celine Dion and, and, and Tiger Woods and all of these people, this is a privilege, but this is a privilege that I take very good care of. Uh, th these people don't have a private life and, and, and when I'm with them, I, I want to make sure that that's how they feel. They're completely the private. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, some of the people that are getting to that, this level, they are taking drugs. And the reason why they do that, because they are famous and rich and you say, wow, why, why don't they destroy themselves? It's because they lose their private identity. They have a pub public identity. They know who they are. To the public but to them themselves they don't know who they are anymore and losing your personal identity is probably um, the worst um uh, the the worst thing that can happen to someone and that's easy enough to understand that that emptiness of not knowing who i am anymore that i don't i don't own my own life my life is owned by everyone except me this emptiness this this is so painful for them <clears throat> that they filled with drugs that are just putting them not you know numb and one day they die from an overdose somewhere right <clears throat> and that is sad because no matter who, what you do outside you always have to keep inside 
a strong sense of belonging and knowing and your self-identity. That is key. And, and that is uh, self-love. How do you love yourself? Can you talk about I, two things? One, I, 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 that logo, the importance of the logo in the Montreal Canadiens locker room. Can you, can you tell that story? Well, that's a, that's a good story. Um, uh, two, two years before Marc Bergevin was hired by the Canadian, I had to do an interview with him. In Canada here, I worked on TV. I, I had a TV show and, and, and we go around and we have like, it's called for you, TSN, we have RDS mm. and, and I'm traveling and, and I did a, an interview with Mark. And I, I told Mark, I said, Mark, what would, you, um, what would you do if they ask you to be the general manager of the Montreal Canadian? Oh, he said, oh, that would be an honor, but it's never gonna happen. Because to him, it was like too big. But after that, they hired him just after one year after my interview. So when he got the job, my good friend, Michel Terrien, who used to be a coach in the NHL, used to coach in the Montreal Canadiens for 10 years, 10 years in advance before that. He said, Sylvain, I'd like to go back and coach the Canadian. Can you help me with my interview? I'm going to an interview with Mark, and I'd like you to help me out. And I said to, to Michel, of course, I'll help you. So come to my house and we'll prepare you for your interview. So he came in with a big box of all kinds of paper. What, the, what would be... Um, the uh, <laughs> how he would uh what would be the, the 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 plan for his team and how he would coach them and what he would do and i said listen that's not what they're gonna ask you they're gonna ask you who are you michel Terrier? and he said and then he said you know what uh, and i asked him one question i said mark michel why would uh, <clears throat> why do you think that you will never get the job he said you know because i coach here 10 years ago they're never going to give me a second chance they're gonna give it another one, someone else another chance. And I said, you are so dumb. I said, stand up and, and ask me the question. I'll pretend I am Michel Terrien, you know? <clears throat> I said, ask me who I am. I'll tell you who I am. Because when I asked, I said, who are you? He said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very loyal, I'm, I'm tough, but I'm fair. And I said, and I, listen, I said, Michel, they're all gonna say that. Do you think that one of the coach that wanna have the job to say, oh, I'm not loyal, I'm not fair. They're all going to say that. So you're never going to get the job. Are you, you stupid, man? <laughs> <laughs> I said, stand up and ask me the same question. I'll pretend I'm Michel Terrien. So he stand up and asked me, said, who are you, Michel Terrien? I said, I'm Michel Terrien. I coached here 10 years ago. I went back to the, um, the, the American League and coached there, and I won everything I had to win. I went back to, to coach the Penguin Pittsburgh, the, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguin, and, 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 I, and I brought my team close to the Stanley Cup twice. But the second time, just before the playoff, I lost my job. But I saw my team winning the Stanley Cup. I saw my team winning the Stanley Cup. But you know where? You know what? I don't care because there's only one place I want to win the Stanley Cup. And it's here in Montreal. Do you have any more, <laughs> do you have any more question for me? And that's how he got the job. And actually, that's how he did his interview. So when he got the job, he hired me to be the sports psychologist for the team. Mm. So Mark, Michel, and myself, we were visiting the, the dressing room. And, and, and as we got into the dressing room, we didn't have a logo in, in, the, in the middle of the dressing room. Every place that I work with, like the, the, the Dallas, uh, the Dallas uh, Star, uh, I work, uh, sorry, with, uh, with, uh, uh, with New York, uh, Pittsburgh, they all have their logo in the middle of the, the dressing room. Every team has that. It's like logo is 
you know what it is. You can not step on it. There's so many rules around that. That's because it's our identity that's so important. But the Montreal Canadiens has won 24 Stanley Cup. This is the oldest hockey team in the world. We didn't even have a logo in the middle of the dressing room. I said to Mark, hey, Mark and Mike, it doesn't make sense, guys. How come you don't have our logo? And Mark says, you're right, we should change that. So Mark and Michelle decided to change the, the carpet and make sure we had a logo in the middle of the dressing room. So when I'm talking to all of the athletes, the logo for a team is what is you know uh, linking us all together and gluing to the glue that makes a team. When I'm talking to uh, a, a, an athlete, an individual athlete, it's the same thing with the logo of who he is. The logo is the meaning of who you are. And, and I will always remember that, that um, uh, Victor Frankl, for those of you who love reading, Victor was uh, uh, put in, in, a, in a concentration camp during the Second World War, World, World War. And he was doing his PhD in psychology. And it was written in his thesis. When they, when they arrested him, they burned his thesis. And, and, and he forgot to put that on a, a USB key. <laughs> it didn't have a USB key at that time. So what he did, uh, he said, I want, I want to rewrite everything so that I remember everything. So he started to do that. But he was looking around him and some people dying and other people surviving. He says, why? Some people are surviving and others are dying. And he uh, listened to them. Those that says, I'm never going to get out of here alive, died in less than two weeks. Those that says, you know, I have to get out of here because I have family, uh, my kids, my, my wife, they're waiting for me. They survived those camps. And they say this is what it's called the logotherapy, meaning. And he's, he wrote a book says, men search for meanings. So this key, this is key to athletes. This is key to everyone. What, what are you looking for? Mm. What uh, makes you happy? What makes you say at the end of this life that is yours? There's only, there will be only one thing left. That will be your souvenir, what you remember. And you'll sit down with your little grandchild, eh? your grandchild, and you put them on your tie and say, this is grand, grandpa's life, and you'll explain your life. This is the story of your life. All we have to do at the end is we are all here for the same reason. You know, the, ex the existential question that everyone is asking, what is human being doing on earth? We asking those questions. It's, I mean, that's why there's so many religions that are asking this question and maybe there's another life after this one. I don't know. Just in case there's not another one, let's make a big, huge party out of this one. And if we come back, Mark, we'll make another one. But for now, the only life that I have is the one that I have right now. That's a privilege that's been given to me. And the worst thing that can happen to a human being, it's quite simple, is when you are on your deathbed, dying, and you're all by yourself because you didn't love any uh, people. You just were all about yourself. You hurt a lot of people, and you're dying all by yourself. That is probably the worst human feeling or emotion that someone can have. This is the worst moment that you can have. You're dying, and you... Just look back at your life, look back in your life and say, maybe I did it wrong, but it's too late now. Because the real question of existential question is what are we doing here on this planet? Well, I have the answer. I know it looks like I'm 
<laughs> so Vane, what drives you today, day to day? It's to make that souvenir album. We're all here for scrapbooking. That's it. At the end of my life, the only thing that will be left will be what I remember from this and what I can share. This is the storytelling of my life. At the end of my life, I'd like to sit with my child, my grandchild, and say, hey, I had a hell of a, a, a ride. It was a hell of a ride. I met a lot of people. I love so many people. I live my life like was full. And, and you know, when you look at Frank Sinatra's song, uh, it's exactly what it has to be. You know, it's never going to be perfect. It's, it's okay. And at the end, I will look back at my life and say, I was loved. I loved a lot of people. And as you do, I also wrote a lot of poems. I do poetries. I do a lot of that because it's a way of, of sharing things that is close to my heart. Mm. And, and all of human beings, we need to love and to be loved. And, and, and that part of, of at, at, your, at, at, your, at the end, people that are telling you how much you love them because you share and, and, and you share love with people that makes a, a, a hell of a great life at the end. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you were, if you were um, a great baseball player or because every athlete's like yourself, the only reason why you're there is because you become a model and, and there's a responsibility that comes with that. Mm. When you become a top athlete that our young, younger kids are looking at you, you got to be a model to them. But in our days, this is sad, but this is true. In one day, we got more information coming to us than a human being used to have 100 years ago. There is computer, there is news, there's so many things that are coming to us. And, and the, sad, the sad thing is that 86% of everything that is coming to us is negative, and only 14% is positive. If you read the newspaper, if you look at the, if you watch TV, uh, look in the internet, you'll see most of the things are negative and only 14% is positive. So we start to believe that the world is going wrong, but that's not true because the media are looking only for things that are sensational, sex, or if there's blood. If there's no blood, no sex, no, if it's not sensational, they're not going to talk about it. Right. If yesterday on the street, a young man killed a woman to steal her handbag. I swear to you, tomorrow we're going to have his picture and his name in all of the newspaper and on TV and radio. But in the same time, at the same exact time, two blocks away from there, there's a young man with a gesture of, of love and caring, help another old lady to cross the street. Mm. His name and his picture will never be anywhere. So why don't we decide as human beings to say, we're never going to publish people that do bad, but we're going to make the name of those who do good things resonate everywhere. We're going to put their names and the pictures everywhere. So why, now we have model for our young kids and, and our new society that we want to build together. Speaking of model, speaking of what's close to your heart, speaking of storytelling, as I've mentioned in the introduction, you've worked with so many elite athletes and celebrities. Um, are there, is there a player or a program that really stands out in your mind as a meaningful moment, a breakthrough story or, or success uh, that we could shed light on um, that's not the bloody uh, story, that's not the bad story? Is there one through your time in working with a team or an athlete or a celebrity that, wow, that person or that team was really good? 
You know, when I met uh, with Tiger Wood, I was impressed by how much pressure he had on him, and I started to do the testing with him. And they said, it's going to take some time to, to give you a report. He said, don't worry. I did. He had a lot of people waiting for him. But he said, for me, the most important is to be with you here, and, and, and I'll take all of the time it takes for me to understand what you're giving me back. So I felt like, wow, he's giving me that intent, that uh, much uh, attention as he was so busy and, and, and but wanted to know everything. And I saw how smart he was. So you don't become a top athlete being, by being um, dumb. You become top athlete by being also smart. And, and when I met with Mario Lemieux, you have to remember this kid didn't speak English. He was drafted in the NHL, <clears throat> moved to uh, Pittsburgh from Montreal from a very poor family. And um, he became the best hockey player in the world. And um, when he was drafted, his agent says, don't put the sweater on because uh, we are not finished negotiating your, uh, your contract. So you, can you see a kid that is only 18 years old, got drafted in Pittsburgh, didn't put the sweater on because his agent said so. So people start to say, well, this kid has got a big head. It was not the case. He was just listening to his agent, and it was a, a wrong um, advice from an agent not to protect his player by say put the jer the jersey on because at the end we're gonna finish this in you know in a very uh, uh, not in, in public, and and when Mario had cancer, um, he had Hodgkin's cancer. They say that he would probably never play hockey again. But on the same day that he has chemo chemotherapist. Chemotherapy, chemotherapy for uh, uh, cancer. The same day he played that night and he scored three goals. So that to show you how strong he was. Went through cancer. Um, he uh, had uh, delivered babies and 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 one of his kid was a, a premature baby, the younger one, Austin. And he stood and, and they thought that he, he would lose him. And he put all of the, the things to, to take care of him, decided to retire. And, and after four years of retirement, he says, well, I'd like my son to see me play hockey. So after having cancer and back pain, because the reason why I was involved with him, because he had back pain. And all of his life, he played with back pain. And I helped him you know, in his comeback. When he came back to play, he started to play in uh, uh, December 27th. And on the same year, he won uh, the first score of the NHL. So only with half a season, he still finished first score after four years of not playing. And, and, and the team couldn't pay him back um, because they were going bankruptcy. He took back the team. He became an owner of the team. Draft... Um, Marc-André Fleury, who became one of the best goaltender ever. And uh, he, he won the lottery by uh, picking uh, uh, Sidney Crosby. So he, this, this guy went through everything. You know, illness, uh, tough time, tough time by being only 18 to be drafted and not to speak English and also not wearing the jersey. Had cancer, played the same night that he had chemo chemotherapy, uh, score goals like crazy, came back after four years, became the best, 
and this became the owner because they couldn't pay back him back make this um this franchise of the nhl one of the best franchise um he did all of that and being so humble humble and nice it reminds me of a song you know always be humble and nice right um and and that's to me to me to have the privilege to be working with him and and uh it's a it's a privilege that i'm really happy and and, and on, on also when i say celine dion which is huge um celine told me people are always asking me how did i get to the top and listen to that mark you're gonna love this one mm. i said she told me she said sylvain people are always asking me how did i get to the top and i said i didn't get to the top i went down she said when i was 12 years old I was my head was big like that and I was not even touching the ground. I had my head in the in 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 the, in the cloud and I was on a cloud. But my family 14 kids, my family, my mom and and Renée is agent, they took her by the end and they took me down one step at a time to make me grounded, to make sure that I was grounded that I didn't have a big head and I was grounded. And, and she says, you know what? That's the, the reason why I'm still alive. I have never been as grounded as I am today. Mm. And that's exactly what I told you before. Those of them that lose their self-esteem, their self-confidence, who they are, their self-identity, they don't know who they are personally, they are uh, sick. And, and to fill that emptiness, they kill themselves without you know what I wanted to kill them but they killed themselves because they're suffering so to me when i look at these people having a lot of success and being so much down to hurt it's driving me crazy the prince albert of monaco didn't have to help me like he did so was celine or marie lemieux or tiger i was and also in my life i'm always asking myself how come do i come across a great people like you mark and i am when i talk to you I was so impressed with what you've done and, and the kind of person you are and, and how much uh, you look and search for goodness and happiness and helping people. I said, wow, you don't have to do that, but you do that because you know that, you know, by helping others, you're helping yourself. And, and that's so important. You know, uh, when, you're at, when you're helping people, always ask yourself who's helping who. And, 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 and at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> I, I think that's why I wanted to, to talk to you this morning and, and share this with, with people. But I'm very privileged to have this opportunity to, to talk to you. First of all, I was privileged to learn the, the, your language. So it opens a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. uh, my first language is French. So, and I didn't know English before I was 19. And, and even though my French is like, as, I, speak English, I speak English like a Spanish, Spanish cow. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvain, thank you so much for what you said. I mean, all those stories are, are so amazing. You know, since you brought up Victor Frankl and the man's search for meaning, I think it's important to, to just talk about how he says everything can be stripped from a person except uh, their attitude, you know, to persist and to hope and to live. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you, and then we'll wrap up because I know that I could speak to you all day, um, is uh, about groundedness and, and about suffering. I'm sure as you've climbed the ranks, whether it was personally or professionally, um, you've either been uh, attacked by business competitors or had personal hardships. Um, 
could you answer a two-part question? Uh, one, are there any hardships that really stand out in your life that really helped you um, develop the kind of um, groundedness and humility um, that I'm looking at right now? Well, I think the first one was that I had problem in school. When I was younger, my problem in school, I was so, um, I didn't want to talk about them because I didn't want to say when people were talking about, you know, school, I wouldn't say anything because I, I felt. So I was like in grade four instead of being grade three, uh, in grade three instead of being grade four. So I would pretend that I didn't want to talk about uh, schooling or anything like that. And to me, it's funny that today I talked to you with two doctors and, and that I, I went all through those studies, but uh, because I, I started to believe in myself with someone that, you know, something that was said to me by someone. So that probably shaped who I am today because of all of those problems that I went through. But also the, the, the thing is that I think in business, there's never an easy day. Mm. Uh, to be uh, to be a CEO of, of a company, people are saying, "Well, you're lucky. You, you make a lot of money," and and it has nothing to do with luck. <laughs> it has everything to do with hard work and and not uh, a lot of uh, white night. You don't sleep much because you're worried. You're always on the edge, and it's pretty much like a big sports player and an athlete. Um, you're always scared of not performing the way you should, and 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 that keeps you on the edge uh, and and I think that's what I learned a lot from sports and I and I really believe uh, Mark that a lot of very good athletes become good um, in business uh, because of that sense of perceiving and, and failing and, and 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 you know raising up and and going on anyways even though it's hard so I, I think that's what I've learned from those two parts the part that my learning problem that I had in a young age and and also uh today by being a, uh, a ceo of a company that is has a lot of challenge to face the, the next question i have for you is uh probably a tough question uh, but since you and i both love uh high performance i, I would love to ask you about misconceptions uh, about um what people are putting a lot of uh gravity and weight towards um that not necessarily matter as much as something that's oftentimes overlooked um, so when I pose that question to you, is there anything in high performance that um, right now athletes, teams are really, really focused on when they perhaps shouldn't be? And is there something that's um, uh, perhaps a little bit more unknown um, but should get more light? You know, Mark, I think performance has a lot to do with how you evaluate that. Um, I always believe that athletes always perform better when they're happy. Um, and, and if it's not the case, I don't know why we should do that. I mean, uh, performance for performance, if it's uh, at, uh, at the price that you have to pay is your health or your family or anything like that, it, it's not worth doing it. So that's why I think performance has always to be fun and, and laughing and, 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 and having. And when it's not fun anymore, why would you do that? Because we say, we play sports. We don't work sports. You say, I'm telling you, hey, you're a great player. You're not a great worker. You're a player. You're not working. You should be having fun. Play, this has to be fun. It should be for our kids as much as older kids. Every time they're calling me, you know, when I have to do sports psychology with, with top athletes in the NHL or NFL, whatever, 
the first thing that I tell you, they, they, they always say the same thing. You know, doc, hey doc, I think I lost my confidence. Mm. You know, I'm in a slump right now. It's not going too well. And I said to them, okay, wait, wait, wait. I have one question for you. When you were 12 years old, what was your biggest dream? Well, my biggest dream was to play in the NHL. So I said, okay, hang up the phone and start singing and dancing and jumping all over the place because I have to tell you, you're an NHL player right now. So shut the fuck up, you know? Mm. And then they realized, you know, I'm sorry about the fuck that I said. It's okay. Beep. And I said to them, you know, shut up. You are an NHL player. Start having fun. And then, okay, it's not going too well right now. There's a reason for that. You're forgetting, you forget to have fun and just be who you are. Right. When did you ever have success in your life? They say, well, I was happy and I was, everything seems to be so smooth and fun. So why don't you come back? Because you have to reframe your thinking. It, 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 why? If you say, I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed. I'm not, I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed. Your brain takes away a nut and always keep stress. Because if you're not stressed, you wouldn't say that. Your brain says, hey, stupid. If you want to stress today, you wouldn't talk about stress. Why are you talking about stress? It's because you're stressed. So when I, I have to say to my brain, I have to say to my brain what I'd like to have, and not what I don't want. So a brain is like a three-year-old kid to me. That's exactly like that. So my brain is like a three-year-old kid. If I'm walking around with a three-year-old kid, <clears throat> kid <clears throat> and I see that there's, a, a, there's water here, a, 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 how do you say that, a Trudeau? Uh, I'm walking and there's water on the street. Okay, there's a, a small puddle. Uh, puddle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, and I see, don't jump in it. Don't jump in it. He didn't even see it first. But now that I told him that's, that's where he <laughs> jump in. So when I say to my brain, I'm not stressed, well, the brain says, oh, I'm stressed. Let's, that's having fun with your stress here. You're going to be so, a lot of anxiety. I have to say to my brain, I'm calm. This is fun. This is a nice, this is a great challenge. This is so fun. That's what I've been dreaming of all of my life. I'm here now. Let's enjoy it. It's a ride. Wow. That's yeah. how we have to see performance. We have to see performance in a sense of having fun. If there's no fun in performance, why performing? You want to do that for, uh, to be famous? You want to do that to make more money? Why is that so? I remember one of my uh, one of my athletes in the NHL was on a it was supposed to sign a one one or two year contract. The two year contract was a bit um, lower in sense of of the money. Mm. And the one year he wouldn't have more money at first, but then he would play this year as being uh, his contract year. Mm -hmm. And you know that as a professional player that your contract year is a year that. You, the, you, everybody love, hates that year. The, you, you hate that because you, you want to perform because this is my contract year and it's gonna, the, the stats are showing that I can sing, sign for another uh, bigger. And I said to my athlete, sign the, the, the two years because this year you're going to play like hell because you're going you're gonna to play like, wow, this is going to be so great because you won't think about your contract. Mm. Next year, you're going to be thinking about it. Show what you can do. This is a showcase here. And that's what he did. And, and, and that's, I'm always telling them, you know, do that all the time. Don't, don't try to get upfront money and put a lot of stress on you because you'll have plenty of time to make a lot of money when you have success. But if you're stressed, if you're stressed and you cannot have success, you'll see it's tough to get yeah. down the hill and it's nice to go up. And, and, and I remember when I tell them, you know, 
start having fun and jumping and and I, and I remember one of the the kid that I I help his name is uh, he played with the the Penguins Pittsburgh and and his name is Maxim Talbot. Maxim scored two goals in the final of the Stanley Cup. It was not uh, it was not uh, uh, Sidney Crosby. It was Maxim Talbot. So Max came to me and says, Sylvain, I just got uh, um, uh, I just I moved to uh, to Philly. I'm gonna go play to, with Philadelphia, uh, okay? And and say he said to me, I'm gonna be overpaid. They're <laughs> 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 giving me so much money. I'm gonna make twice as much money that I did in Pittsburgh. I said, listen to me, Max. No team pays people too much because you're worth for them. That's how mm. much money they think you are worth because. You know, there are smart people. They don't pay people too much. Do you know why this is the team they want to pay that much? Because you've been on their, on their case for so long, you are a pain in the ass. When they play against you for so many years, they say the, the worst player that you play against, you want to have him in, the, in your team. And, and they say that's why they're going to give you a lot of money. And I said to him, I said, how come you're the one who scored two goals in the, fi the final uh, Stanley Cup? He says, because every time there's a goal, that a very important goal, I'm always telling myself on the bench, okay, I'm going to be the one that had to score the goals. I have to go and score the goals. And I said, what happened? He said, I scored the goals. I said, okay, now all you have to say to yourself, this every single shift <laughs> is like a final of the Stanley Cup. Mm. Play like that and think like that and you're going to be okay. And that year he scored more goals than he ever did before. Why? Yeah. Because he had that thinking of saying, hey, now it's every day that I have yeah. to be great like that. I would go even further. I don't even think it's thinking. I think it's believing. You know, I think yeah. the belief system right there is off the charts. Um, Sylvain, well, you've been through so, you have so many stories and, and you continue to um, do this at such a high level. Uh, if you were... Um, to look back at yourself when you were first starting, uh, what advice would you give to that young, aspiring professional? What, what would you say to them? What is something that you know now that you wish you knew um, then? Enjoy. Because it's going to go really fast. Enjoy every moment. Enjoy. And, and, and take some time for yourself. Don't always work and work and work. Just enjoy and have fun. And you know what? Don't take it too seriously. Don't take life seriously. Don't just enjoy. I was too serious. I was too busy. I was too, for so many things. I was, sometimes I was with people, but my brain one was not there because I was thinking too much. I was afraid of, of losing, afraid of uh, bankruptcy, afraid of not being good enough, afraid of so many things I was afraid. And when I look back, I just laugh and say, it was a nice ride, but I should have enjoyed more. I just didn't know how to enjoy. And, and, and what I'm telling every young player and every young uh, CEO or every young woman who have an idea of, of getting, you know, I, I, I am so impressed by young women today, what they became and who they are and, and how we should I named a, a women the CEO of my company. When I wanted to have a, uh, someone take care of my business, I named a, a, a lady as a CEO. She didn't have any experience in, in what I was asking her. But she said, I'm going to take care of your, uh, your people. My people was 80 people. And it was my family. They were not employees of mine. 
were my friend. They were my bro- they were my brothers and sisters. So to me, I just wanted someone who would take care of them. And I named a, a woman in charge. And it was the best thing I've done in my life to name a woman. And I, and, and, and Mark, I'm sorry to say, but in the world of sports, there's a lot of people who think, you know, men and men and, and men, we got to learn so much from women. And, and, you know, Krishna Varsary, I admire her so much. Likewise. Uh, for what she's done. Can you believe she's a woman from Brasilia and she came th- to the States, became the best in her, in her, the best from far in her field. Um, she built that great school where she's teaching people and all kinds of people to learn the language, to go in sports psychology. This woman um, had made the two of us to meet. Right. And I, uh, I will be thankful for, for everything she's done in my life. She changed my life completely. And, and, and that's why I think we should make a lot more space to women in, in sports and every business and everywhere because we got so much to learn from there, from them. And I hope that uh, we, we will live one day that uh, we're going to have, uh, who knows, maybe a president of the United States to be women or I mean, they deserve that. And it's not, it's time for them to shine. I'm not saying that men are no good, but be a man who has a, a heart of a woman with, with the, being a mom, being a caring and, and loving. And, and, and that's what we need from, uh, from people who are, um, you know, guiding us. Yeah, I, I think what comes to mind for me is uh, you brought up earlier that more men need to cry, right? And I, 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 I look towards um, uh, my mother, my sister, uh, Dr. Christina Vasari, just strength, right, is the word that comes to mind. I have this uh, band on um, for the One Love Foundation that says hashtag love better. Um, is, uh, clearly, you're not shying away from it, and I'm not shying away from it. It's so important uh, to talk about love. I think it's the only thing that will heal um, the kind of problems that we're talking about. Um, and yeah, there's an extension of having fun and happiness and joy that comes off of that word, but it really comes from the strength of that word, love. And uh, I have 12 more questions for you, but I probably should wrap it up and with, with two more. And, and the first one would be, if I knew you better, is there a question I should have asked you, right? Is there something that I didn't ask you um, that you wish I had? Uh, I think you know me quite well because I'm very open. <laughs> what you see is what you get. Um, I, I think the question you should um, maybe ask me is, where do I see life going like in a sense of you know i look back united states what was my my second country and when i look at the tension in between um the parties and and people and and it makes me sad and i and i wish that one day you would all come together and 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 love one another and say okay let's stop having um two separate people in and and be open to one another and listening and and getting closer i think this um this price this uh, uh, covid 19 um has put us apart in a sense physically mm-hmm. yep physically we had to go apart and, and and wear a mask and and i hope that this will teach us something that as we were apart and and wearing all those masks and not see people smile that 
we will learn from this that what has missed us the most was the smiling face of people and 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 nice gesture and and being close to one another to to heal one another and to listen and to be open to new ideas to new opinions to the difference i wrote a, a last book that i wrote uh, is the name is the power of our difference so in a team in Krishna Varsri, I've, I've shown that by the testing she's done in players and teams that show that the teams that were made, made more of the different personalities have uh, more success. So our society is exactly the same. Mm. I, learned, I learned a lot more from people that are different than me than people that think exactly like me. So every time there's a conflict that comes in, just ask yourself, what am I learning from this conflict and why is it there? And, and how can I be open to that person? Even though I don't agree with that person, how can I be, I be open and, and still love this person but for, for who she is, not for her opinions or things like that are not exactly like the mind. And I think if we do that, the country is going to get together uh, in a better sense. Not only your country, but it's all around the world. It's just yeah. everywhere. So we try to distance ourselves from people that are different than us. And actually, it's the opposite we should do. The, the more different people are getting together, the stronger is a nation. Yeah, when we look at the individual, their holistic health is so important, but when we look at the community in the world, the holistic, integrative, and interplay of everybody is probably where uh, the most power is going to come from. Um, I want to wrap up by asking you, uh, as I've asked every, every single person that comes on here, uh, how would you define greatness? What does greatness look like to you? And I ask, also want to bring in the second part of, of this podcast and ask you what you're most grateful for. Greatness for me is a is a child heart. Because when you are young, when we are young, we don't judge people. We live the moment in the present moment. When you look at a kid and just what he needs is love. And all that he's asking for is love. A kid is is, is what I'd love to be. I'd love to become a kid and, and have that um, pure pure heart of of being loved and asking to be loved and 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 to me i wrote a poem in french that it says did you ever love love enough to be uh, to to forget that you have sorrow and and in, in french this poem says at the end all we're asking for is love so as-tu déjà aimé aimé assez pour pardonner pardonner même à l'étranger étranger avec toi-même toi-même est-ce que tu t'aimes t'aimes-tu assez pour oublier Oublier quand tu as fait de la peine, la peine de ne pas être aimé, aimer sans demander et demander qu'à être aimé. So the poem goes like, all we're asking for is to be loved and, and, and you will have sorrow and, and forget that you have sorrow. Can you forgive people and can you forgive yourself? Could you just ask for love and love people without asking in returns, just love of loving. And when that is done we know that we got back to our childhood kind of heart because i was there 9-11 in new york and i was supposed to be in the two tower but i was in the madison square garden instead and this is all the new story that you have to call me back so that we do an interview <laughs> just on that but i remember the day of that day new york became the best place to live on earth was on september 11 everybody was helping each other Everybody was loving each other. It was in a tough time. And I'm always asking myself, why do we wait until we get tough time to realize that we are brothers and sisters and just being loving one another? 
and the 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 the, the September uh, 12th on that year of 2001 was the greatest place to be was in New York. Everybody was talking to each other and they loved each other. But on the 10th of, of September, when I got to New York, I was all by myself in the middle of millions of people. No one talked to me. I was all by myself. And then everything changed in a moment when do, those two towers were attacked. And then we felt scared. And we feel that, wow, now we need to rely on one, on one another and helping one another and helping each other. And it changed my life that I realized I was supposed to be there. And I got a second chance. I got back home, cried like crazy, and, and wrote a poem on, on why are we at war? Why, uh, why is that? Why can we share this planet all together and be, you know, just be be brothers and sisters and i know it sounds crazy and people will say well this guy believes in god believes in this and this and this I, I, you know what i believe i believe in human beings with great intention intention of of just being uh and helping one another and and and, and you know in in our life we know those people we know who are there like that and we hope that everyone will come up and say okay how can we help one another? And, 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 and to me, I had a second chance because I was supposed to be in the two tower and I wasn't there because, of, but because we had 68 players instead of 63. That's the reason why they changed my, my room. I was supposed wow. to be there. And I lost three friends in those, um, those in that, on that day. And it changed my life to say, okay, now every day is like a bonus day. Mm. So why would I not be happy? I, I don't have, and, and sometimes in life, we got different people, great leaders. Yeah. It's one person out of tw five that are great leaders. One out of five. So it's 20% of the, of the people around are great people. And they're there to help one another. There's 60% of us. Three person out of five, they follow other people. That's all they do. They follow in life. They are not great, great leaders, but they will follow. They're great followers. And one person out of five, they suffer from an illness that I call la rectomyopie. They have the optic nerve branch in the derriere, and all they see in life is shit. And they make everybody shit and be unhappy. If you're one of those, change. Change. If you're one of those people who are always negative and, and putting, pulling people down, change. This illness can be cured, and it can only be cured through love. Thank you so much, Sylvain. You know, I, I want to say, you know, I, I oftentimes say this um, C.S. Lewis uh, quote uh, on friendship uh, that goes, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And uh, I, I haven't known you for a long time, uh, but I feel like I do. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know we could talk for hours, probably days, uh, but you gave uh, listeners something really special. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me here and, and, and asking me all kinds of great questions that are deep down questions, not just uh, on the top of things, but we went down deep to what really mattered in our lives. So thanks so much.